0: Vanessa Hudgens really was trying to take a turn from high school musicals. She wanted out of that Disney contract, and by God, she got out of it. Hi, everyone. I'm Bolton. And I'm Grace. And welcome to Crime Scenes, a true crime movie podcast. So what movie are we doing today, Grace? Today we are doing The Frozen Ground. This movie was our second request. It was requested by our friends Mitchell and Karen. Thank you so much. And if you want to make a request for a movie for us to recap, you can do so at the link in our bio of our Instagram at Crime Scenes Pod, or you can visit our website, CrimeScenesPodcast.com. We also want to thank a few people that contributed to the podcast through BuyMeACoffee.com. Thank you to Aaron and Forensic Dentist. Love your name. If you like what you're hearing and would also like to contribute to the podcast, you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash crime scenes pod. Or again, you can go to the link in bio at our Instagram. And last thing, guys, I promise we now have merch and we're going to do a giveaway. So how you enter is we want you to give us a five star rating and a short review wherever you listen to the podcast. It can be as short as a happy face emoji. We don't care. And just to be safe, send us your username that you did that review under. So we have it. You can Send it to us through our website or a DM on Instagram, and we will select someone, and they're going to win some of our merch. You're going to get a t-shirt and a mug and a sticker. All right, I'm done talking. Let's get to the frozen ground.
1: Yeah. What, What just happened?
2: There's been another murder.
1: Found it last night. This one of your missing
2: persons? That could be. She's late teens, maybe early twenties. She's not missing anymore.
3: What do you make of this?
2: Ever tried to saw a bone with a flat blade?
3: Seems someone tried to remove her head.
1: Any connection to the Jane Doe? When are you going to
4: admit there's somebody taking these girls?
1: It's not a first time. He's done it before. He'll do it again.
4: <laughs> I can't get these off. <laughs>
1: Eight girls in the last two years there's not one lead except her cindy paulson she got away why don't you just start at the beginning
4: he brought me to his place he called it his dead. it was it was more
3: of a dungeon.
1: why isn't this guy on our list
2: oh, hey bobby
3: Hey, Al, good
4: morning Hansen's an upstanding citizen I have testimony from a witness She's a prostitute that refused a polygraph It's a dead end She's not your problem She's not our kid
1: Well, she's someone's We're looking for a white male, early 40s History of sexual assault and avid hunter That's Hansen. I need physical evidence We're reopening the case This guy did it And they let him get away with it Oh my God He's gonna dump it all did you panic when you killed them? Pat. You had their blood all over your hands.
3: I didn't do that.
1: I need mean, yeah. more. Or he's gonna walk. I'm gonna see if you have the guts. To be
3: honest, you think you can been me? Oh, oh. You don't have any idea who I am.
1: I promise nothing's going to happen to you.
4: Look, he's gonna take me. Help me, please.
1: Have you seen her? Have you seen this girl? He won't stop, and we know who he is. Have you ever seen anybody do anything like this before?
0: This movie is available to rent for $3.99 on a bunch of different platforms. YouTube TV, Google Play, Apple TV, Vudu, and Amazon Prime Video. And you can watch it for free with commercials on Tubi. It is starring Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, Vanessa Hudgens, and 50 Cent. Yeah, when he popped up, I was like, wait, that's 50 Cent. (laughs) I mean, he wasn't really necessary to the story, but why the hell not? Yeah. This film was written and directed by Scott Walker, and this was actually his directorial debut, and for a directorial debut, I would say it's pretty good. It gets a little dramatic, kind of in the wrong ways. The content of this movie, the story, certainly calls for some intense moments, but he fictionalizes a lot of stuff that just isn't necessary. It doesn't bring more to it. And of course, there's Nick Cage just being himself. This film depicts an Alaskan state trooper seeking to apprehend the real-life Alaskan serial killer Robert Hansen by partnering with a young woman who escaped from Hansen's clutches. Sources for this movie are going to be the movie itself, The Frozen Ground, made in 2013. I also watched a documentary from Investigation Discovery that was released on September 2nd, 2020 that was called The Butcher Baker, The Making of a Monster. And I flipped through and read a little bit of the book called The Butcher Baker, The True Account of an Alaskan Serial Killer by Walter Gilmore and Leland Hale. And then I also listened to several podcasts about this guy. And the podcasts that I listened to were Crime Junkie, True Crime Guys, True Crime All the
5: Time, and Morbid. And my main source besides that was an FBI Files episode from 1999, Season 2, Episode 6, Hunter's Game.
0: And as usual, if you want a complete list of all of our sources, you can check them out on our website and our show notes. A couple things about this movie before we start. This movie is going to cover some sexual assault. So if that is going to be triggering for you, you might want to skip out on this week's episode. The second thing about this movie is... We, the viewer, we know who the serial killer is throughout the movie. We know it's Robert Hansen. The investigators and law enforcement officers, they do not know. So the whole movie, it's not a whodunit. It is showing these officers going through the process of figuring out who this guy is and ultimately catching him. So it may seem like I might be giving some spoilers at times and talking about some statements that Robert Hansen made after the fact, after he was caught. I'm just doing that to add more context. The third thing about this movie that I just want to let people know about is the movie has a tendency to lump together all of Robert Hampson's victims, referring to them as the missing girls, the murdered girls, the missing women, the murdered women. And I'm usually not crazy about this because I would prefer that the individual person that was killed whose life was taken from them be mentioned. But in defense of the movie, this guy's killing spree lasted over 10 years. There are still some women's bodies who are missing. There are still some women who are not identified, and they believe that he probably killed more people even than what they have. And these women were found at all different times. Some of them were found immediately after they disappeared and were murdered. Some of them were not found until Robert Hansen was caught and they had been missing for years and years and years. So occasionally the movie will reference real people and we will talk about those people as they reference them. They also do something where they have some fictionalized characters that they use to demonstrate the M.O. of Robert Hansen and we'll talk about those as well. Ultimately, Ultimately, we do not want people to get lost. We want to get the story out of what happened to these people. So we are generally going to follow how the movie goes and we will refer to the real people as they come. Last thing before we get started is I just want to point out that Robert Hansen was one of the most prolific serial killers in the country and definitely in Alaska at the time that he was committing all of these murders. But he's not nearly as talked about as other serial killers like Ted Bundy. And there's potentially a couple of reasons for that. The first reason is that at the time that Robert Hansen got caught, he actually made a deal with the DA. And the deal was that he would help identify and locate as many bodies of the women that he killed that he could. And in exchange for that, he wanted the press and media attention on his killings to be kept to a minimum in order to protect his family. Now, some people may agree with that, some people may not, but ultimately the DA did agree to that. So the media coverage of his case at the time that he was caught was kept to a minimum. So that is a potential reason. The second potential reason is more problematic, and it's also one of the reasons that he was not caught for so long, and he was able to be so prolific. And that is the fact that many of his victims were either topless dancers or sex workers, and they were not taken as seriously as other people. And I just want to say this now, that these are fucking human beings. They deserve to be safe while they are doing their job, like everybody else, when they are going to work and doing their job. Not only do they deserve safety from serial killers, they deserve to have safety from abusive pimps, from aggressive clients or customers. Yeah.
5: And I just wanted to do a background primer thing. So this was the 80s. So our laws and our society was not as progressive as it is now. There were victims who were 17. And they're commonly referred to as prostitutes in this movie. By today's standards, they would be sex trafficked victims, they would be commercially sexually exploited children. So if someone pays you to have sex with them, and you're a minor, you're not committing a crime, they are. But like I said, it's the 80s, we really weren't there yet as a society to really think of of teen girls as children, still.
0: And you will notice when watching this movie, there is an ongoing theme of frustration and just general what the fuckness. <laughs> but anyway, let's get started. So we start this movie with some very dark, dramatic music, and of course, some on screen text. And it is for the first time a Bible verse, which I knew was going to come at some point, <laughs> but I was just like, good God, here we go. I'm I grew up in a very religious household. I myself am not religious, so I get a little bit cynical when this stuff comes up. But it says, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. That is Matthew 10, 16. Then we get really, really great shots of the forest and the mountains in Alaska as the credits are going by. We ultimately get the title sequence and it ends with some more text that just says Anchorage, Alaska, 1983. Then we go from these very beautiful wide shots of the Alaskan wilderness to basically the polar opposite. We have these shots that are very jagged. The camera's moving around. You can barely see a foot in front of you. We get the context that we are following some police officers as they are being led into what we're going to learn later is a hotel And in the movie, the context we get is that they're being led in by what looks like a manager of that hotel, and they're responding to a disturbance, someone making a lot of noise there. And we hear this manager explaining that someone, it's presumably a she, has come in, and she is hysterical, and they can't get her to calm down, but they also can't get her to open her door so they can go in, and they didn't know what else to do.
2: Ma'am. Started a half hour ago. She ran in screaming, going nuts. Ma'am, open this door. She woke the whole damn place up. Get back. Get those people back now. Get back inside. Get inside.
0: Ma'am, open this door now. And this officer has to break down the door to get into her. <laughs> Now, this officer's name is Greg Baker. He is a real person, and he works for the Anchorage Police Department. The woman in this room is also based on a real person. This is Cindy Paulson, and she is played by Vanessa Hutchins. So as he goes into the room, we see that Cindy Paulson is handcuffed. Her wrists are bloody and really red from the handcuffs. She is hysterical crying.
4: Please don't hurt me. I can't get these off! Get these fucking things off my hands.
0: And the first thing that Greg Baker does just to calm her down is he gets those handcuffs off. And in real life, Greg Baker said getting the handcuffs off was the key thing to getting her to calm down so we could actually talk to her. Now, I'm going to back up a little bit and explain what's happened up to this point because the movie does not do a very good job telling us what the hell is going on. Cindy Paulson is the only known survivor of an attack made by Robert Hansen. And what we're seeing in the movie right now is the aftermath of that attack because her surviving that is essentially the Kickstarter to how they end up catching Robert Hansen. At the time that she was attacked, Cindy Paulson was 17 years old, but she was working as a sex worker in the Anchorage area and portraying herself as being 23 years old. She did have a pimp that she sometimes would call her boyfriend and she lived in a hotel where he would be able to get access to her and tell her when and where to work. The date of Cindy Paulson's attack was June 13th, 1983. She was working on the corner of 5th and Denal at the time, which was just off of the area where sex workers frequented an area called 4th Street. And she had gone on a date where a kind of unassuming man that was very quiet picks her up and he offers to pay her $200 to give him a blowjob, which she says is fine. And then immediately as she gets in the car, she realizes that this man has pulled a gun on her and he tells her that they're going to do things his way. He takes her back to his house and down into this basement where he proceeds to sexually assault her on a bearskin rug and Cindy Paulson describes. Describes this basement as a dungeon. Robert Hansen had a freestanding post in the middle of this basement where he had drilled and attached a chain to the post and then he would take these women, including Cindy Paulson, and attach them to the chain around their neck, literally like a dog so that they were trapped down there. And he falls asleep and takes a nap. Then he wakes up and he says, before I let you go, we're going to go on a plane ride. I want to show you something. I want to show you my cabin. And he drives her to this airfield where he's got a plane. And this is Alaska, so it's not too unusual that people had planes. And as he is about to get her in this plane, Cindy runs. She books it and gets away from him. And he's trying to chase her, but she manages to get a truck driver to stop and pick her up. And the truck driver says immediately, like, are you okay? Let's go to the police. And she says, no, I want to go back to the hotel where I'm staying at. And this guy is a little confused by her response because he clearly sees Robert Hansen chasing her. He doesn't know who he is, but he sees a man chasing her with a gun coming from this airfield. But Cindy Paulson is insistent. She says she does not want to go to the police. She says she wants to go back to her hotel. And so this truck driver complies with what she wants. And he does take her back to her hotel. But after he does that, he immediately gets to a phone and calls the cops and says, I just dropped off this girl. She was not fully dressed. She was very distraught and running from a guy at an airplane. And that's where we find Cindy at the beginning of the movie. And that is how Greg Baker ends up getting to this hotel to talk to her. So it wasn't like a manager calling about a disturbance or anything. It was because this truck driver was a good guy and called later. It is true, however, that she was still very hysterical, rightfully so. She was still handcuffed. And Cindy Paulson ends up telling all of this information to Greg Baker. And then Greg Baker says, I want to take you to the hospital to get a sexual assault examination. And she agrees to go. And they don't put this in the movie. And I think this is so important. I don't know why they didn't do this. On the way to the hospital, they drive by this airfield where all the airplanes are that people have. And she sees a plane taking off. And she's like, that's the plane that he was trying to put me in. Like, she thinks this is him. Mm -hmm. And they stop that plane from taking off. They go and examine it. It turns out it's not the plane that he was taking her in, but it's similar to it. So they are able to figure out which one is his plane. pretty quickly. And Cindy knows everything about this guy. The second she got down in that basement, she memorized everything. She could describe what he looked like. She talked about different things that were in the basement. She actually left a shoe in his car so they could try to find it. She even knew his name. She picked up during talking to him that his name was Robert Hansen. And the movie doesn't really emphasize that enough, but she gave them a lot of detail before they even got to the hospital. So much so that they did do an investigation. They did speak with Robert Hansen. And we'll talk about the results of that in just a second. So Greg Baker gets Cindy Paulson to the hospital. And from the moment she's in that hospital, through this whole experience, they treat her like absolute fucking shit. Mm -hmm. Even down to the nurse that is in the hospital talking about all of this stuff with Greg Baker, she's saying right in front of Cindy, She's had intercourse, some older bumps and bruises, the only fresh markings are from the cuffs. Do you need to do that in front of her in the damn room? Right. And Cindy wants to leave. She is nervous. And like you said, unlike in today's standards where she would be a victim no matter what happened, Mm -hmm. she's considered to be doing something illegal. So she's trying to leave the hospital. Then Greg Baker, thank God for this man. I wish they had featured him more in the movie because he was very understanding with her. He was very good with her. And he's saying to her in the hospital,
1: We're going to need you to come down to the station and go over a few things.
0: But she's not wanting to go, and immediately the nurse walks up to her and just says, Miss, we're going to need to keep your items. Sign this. You can put these on. So she's come to this hospital after being assaulted. They have to re-violate her for this examination, and then they just take all of her shit. I mean, and they they take everything. Mm -hmm. They just give her a pair of pants and a sweatshirt. Then after this happens and she realizes she's not getting her stuff back, she goes ahead and goes back to the police station with Greg Baker. Now, in reality, she did not have to go to the station right after she was in the hospital. And that is true for any case like this. They would not make you go from the hospital right to the police station to be questioned about something like this. The investigators in the case would continue to look into other aspects of the case. And if they needed you, they would call you back, which they very likely will to go over any questions that they may have of, And that's what they did with Cindy. So the day she was attacked was, again, June 13th, 1983. She did go to the hospital that day. And the police and investigators did actually look into Robert Hansen and looked into several things about him on the 13th. Then the next day on June 14th, they called Cindy back to be interviewed. And when Cindy goes back to the police station the next day to be interviewed, she's not interviewed by Greg Baker. Greg Baker was just the responding officer to the scene, but he's not the head investigator. Cindy's going to be interviewed by the head investigator in this case And this guy's name was Will Dennis And this motherfucker is the absolute worst
4: And then he changed it to a post And then he raped you I told you already, that was before On a bearskin You told the other officer it was a bed It's basically
0: like, she's not being interviewed about a very traumatic incident She is being interrogated Like Mm -hmm. she is the defendant herself
4: He, um, he wrapped a chain around my neck He was going to kill me. Yeah, but what about the bed? There was no bed. When he chained me, he put a blanket down on the ground. You're a prostitute, aren't you? It's 23 your real age. (sighs) Yes. Why would he want to put you in a plane?
0: He asked her very, very aggressive questions like How
4: many times did you say he had intercourse with you? (sighs) Once he Just once. Was it vaginally or or anally? Before you said it was both. Well, he did it normal uh, on top.
0: And you actually see Greg Baker watching this interview through a two-way mirror. Side note, never ever in my life have I seen a two-way mirror <laughs> in a police station. But he's pissed. You can tell why he's watching it that they're not taking her seriously. And we learn as we're watching this interview along with Greg Baker that the reason they're not taking her seriously is they think they have evidence to show she was lying.
4: Listen, I've spoken to this Bob Hanson. He has two friends that say he was with them all night. And now I'm trying to work out if you were even with this guy last night.
0: Which, even if she was, I mean, I've had victims lie to me before. This is still the absolute wrong way to go about it because they're just making her shut down more. Yeah. So here is what the investigation has uncovered at this point, which is leading this investigator to be so convinced that Cindy Paulson is lying. After Cindy Paulson stated that Bob or Robert Hansen was the person that kidnapped and assaulted her, she stated where he lived, she pointed out his plane, they did do a legit investigation on him. They went to Bob Hansen's house or Robert Hansen's house, and they asked permission from him if they could search the house. And Robert Hansen was very cooperative. He let them search their house. He waived the rights to an attorney, and he spoke with them briefly. And they also let them search his plane, and they found nothing of evidentiary value in the plane. They found nothing of evidentiary value in his car. And in his house, it did match exactly how Cindy described. There was a basement. There was a post down in the basement, a wooden post, but it didn't have a chain on it. It did, however, have a small hole like something could have been attached to it. And the only person that noticed that was Greg Baker. Then when they asked Robert Hanson where he had been, he actually had two alibis. And the police checked with both of these people, and they both confirmed that Robert Robert Hansen was with them, and to top it all off, when the officers did a criminal background check on Robert Hansen, it came up completely blank. He had no criminal history. So remember that little tidbit because that will become important. And finally, at the end of all of this, after this horrible interview that Cindy Paulson had gone through, the police asked her to take a polygraph test, and it was at that point she realized that the police were not going to help her, and she was over it, and she said no, despite the fact that she did positively identify. Identify him in a photo lineup. The conclusion that this Anchorage sexual assault investigator, Will Dennis, comes to is that Robert Hansen was a John of Cindy's and that there was some sort of money dispute, and now she is trying to get back at him. So that is why she is saying that he assaulted her. And that also explains why she would know where things are in his house. Now, it does not take a genius to figure out that when Cindy Paulson went running from that airplane to the truck driver and this truck driver saw him, that he was going to need to cover his tracks. And that is exactly what he did. He went back to his house, cleaned everything out, including the chain and the gun that he pulled on Cindy Paulson. He cleaned out the car, including taking her shoes out. And he also arranged for these two men to be alibis for him. So he had plenty of time to get everything taken care of before the police came and talked to him. But apparently, the only person that thinks this might be a possibility in the Anchorage Police Department is Greg Baker. So he is the only person that is still listening to Sidney Paulson as she's trying to tell her story and not just berating her and concluding she's a liar.
5: Yeah, God bless Officer Baker. I wish they did focus more on him in this movie because he's really the hero who makes shit happen here
0: so after we see this horrendous interrogation we go over and we are meeting our main character of the movie and that is a guy named jack holcomb and he is played by mr nicholas cage yeah And he is being woken up by a phone. He's a cop on call and he's being called into a scene. And Jack Mm -hmm. Holcomb is based on the real person, Glenn Flothy. And I don't know why the hell they changed his name. (laughs) I think they just didn't like the name Glenn Flothy. Yeah. He's not too different from Glenn Flothy. He is the same role in this movie and in real life with what he did. But we're meeting him for the first time. And in this movie, he's going to be named Jack Holcomb. And we get a little context with Jack Holcomb as he is getting up after he gets this phone call and starting his day. He is about to leave and he's talking to his wife and she's asking him.
1: Did you sign that check? I'm late as it is.
4: Hon, they're not going to come and move all this stuff if you don't pay them.
1: So
0: basically, we get the idea that he's given two weeks notice and he's about to leave and go to another job, which him giving two weeks notice and having two weeks left on the force for this entire movie is not true. All the processes that happened in this movie happened over a very long period of time. Yeah. Then we see Halcom in a helicopter and you get the idea that Alaska is enormous and they are going out into the middle of nowhere in this Alaskan forest where two hunters had found a woman's
1: body. This one of your missing persons?
2: That could be. She's female. Late teens, maybe early 20s. One girl has a jacket just like that. Bear dug her up. Been in there, I don't know, six months, maybe a year. Doesn't look like she was hiking. Purse? And it's still searching. It's gonna be a hard one. One of the boys found this, though, in the grave, execution style.
0: And this person that they are finding is based on a real person, and we'll get into her identity in a little bit, but some of the initial things that they noticed, which were true, was that it was very decayed. It appeared that animals had gotten to the body, and this was true for many of these women. And this was a big reason why many of these women were never found. Also, it appeared that she had been shot. There was a 223 casing found near the body, and what was really strange is that although it was clear she was shot in the back, there was no bullet holes in her clothes, so she was shot without any clothes on, and then her clothes were put on afterwards, potentially when she was dead. Additionally, she was found with an ace bandage wrapped around her head, covering her eyes so that she could not see. So it's very clear she's been murdered. And Mm -hmm. you also get the context that this is not the first person that they've found like this. This is not the first woman that has either been missing or been found dead out in the Alaskan wilderness. And dead in a way that she wasn't a hiker that got lost. She's dead in that she was executed. She was killed. Right. And then we get back to Greg Baker. And I want to clarify now, Jack Halcombe and Greg Baker do not work for the same police agencies. They're two different agencies. Greg Baker works for the Anchorage Police Department. So it's the police department in charge of any crimes that happen in the city of Anchorage. Mm -hmm. Jack Halcombe works for the Alaskan State Police or Alaskan State Troopers. So they are a statewide police department. Mm -hmm. And in this next scene, we're back to Greg Baker. And he's talking to that sexual assault investigator that interviewed slash interrogated cindy paulson and he's telling him
4: she's telling the truth she's a prostitute that refused a polygraph it's a dead end what do you expect her to do we should be going back there hey, and a listen. who knows what the fuck went on hansen's an upstanding citizen the man has a wife children and no record on the computers the lieutenant and i spoke with the da and there's not enough to say she was even in the guy's place so there won't be a warrant i'm taking it from here
0: And Will Dennis, this investigator, has closed down this case and made up his mind on it, regardless of anything that Greg Baker has to say to him. Actually, when Greg Baker approaches Investigator Will Dennis about Cindy Paulson's case and why he wants him to keep it open, Investigator Dennis is talking with some other officers about Cindy Paulson, and you hear him say specifically,
4: So I asked him straight. I said, did you do this? He said, you can't rape a prostitute, can you? I mean, how the fuck's that?
0: (laughs) And this line came from something that Robert Hansen actually said in response to the officers talking to him about the accusations made that he had raped Cindy Paulson. And you can see from this as an example that for the most part, officers agreed with this mentality, which there are so many problems saying that. Yeah. And Greg Baker is furious at this. And I'm happy to say that he was in real life too. He really was mad that they were not listening to Cindy Paulson. And after we see that and we see him mad, you get the sense that he's going to do something about that.
5: Yeah. I just wanted to add in around this time, we get this kind of weird scene where we see Cindy like in her motel room and she's like watching cartoons and she has a little panda bear stuffed animal and she's drinking milk. And at first I was like, why'd they put this in here? And then I was like, oh, the director is trying trying to clue us in that she is a child still and I really liked that he did that pointing out this is a young girl she is not some mature adult who is going through this traumatic thing she's a young child who's gone through this horrible experience everyone's treating her like shit and she's still standing up and saying this is what happened to me I've told you five times but I'll tell you again and that's that
0: Yeah. And when she's being interrogated, the investigator Mm -hmm. says to her, are you really 23? Like, it's bad that she lied. But in my mind, I'm like, if you find out she's not 23, wouldn't you be like, oh, fuck. We got to get her out of this.
5: (laughs) Yeah. I would hope now we would do that. but. And the other thing, too, is they
0: don't follow up with her at all. She disappeared Mm -hmm. with her pimp because she didn't want to be found and have to deal with these fucking idiots anymore. Yeah. Anyway. Jump back over to Jack Halcombe, and he is a part of a press conference, which is being held by the Alaskan State Police. And they're talking about that woman that they've just found.
2: The victim was Sherry Morrow, 23, a.k.a. Sherry Graves, or Sherry, Georgia. She was reported missing last November after saying she was going to meet a man for a $300 photo session.
0: Now, it is true that Sherry Morrow did have a few aliases. She was 23 years old and she disappeared after saying that she was going to a photo shoot. However, the movie has consolidated and rearranged the timeline a little bit. She disappeared in November of 1981. She was found in September of 1982. Then about nine months later, Cindy Paulson was attacked in June of 83. So Sherry Morrow was actually found before the Cindy Paulson incident. However, everything else they're saying about about her is accurate. And you have some of the reporters asking questions. Any connection to the Jane Doe found
1: last year called a Kalutna Annie? No, Sheila, still no idea on that body.
0: And Eklutna Annie, this Jane Doe that the reporter is asking about any potential connection with Sherry Morrow, this was also a real person, and to this day, we still know very little about her. She was one of the first bodies that was found on July 21st, 1980. She was found off of Eklutna Lake Road, hence her name, which is just southwest of the Kinnick River where Sherry Morrow was found. They estimate she was about 16 to 25 years old, and they think that she might have disappeared around November of 1979 to... June of 1980, she was stabbed in the back. And like Sherry Morrow, she was found in a shallow grave, partially eaten by animals. And the Alaska State Troopers are saying that they do not have any information that would connect Aklutna Annie to Sherry Morrow, which is true. They had very little information on Aklutna Annie. But another reporter very quickly points out that there is at least one other missing woman that potentially might have similarities to Sherry Morrow. Another
4: officer described Sherry and Sue Luna as carbon copy.
2: Uh, They were both dancers at the Wild Cherry and Good Times clubs and both uh, said they were leaving to meet a photographer.
0: Now, the woman that the reporter is referencing that potentially has similarities to Sherry Morrow is a 23-year-old named Sue Luna. And Sue Luna disappeared about four months before Sherry Morrow on May 26, 1982. And at this point in the movie, she has not been found. Ultimately, her body will be found at the time that Robert Hansen confesses. But regardless of that, there are aspects of Sue Luna's disappearance that are indeed similar with Sherry Morrow's, and they are key to... Robert Hansen's M.O., Both of these women were topless dancers in the Anchorage area, and that was frequently Robert Hansen's target. And topless dancers is what these women call themselves. So that's what I'm going to refer to them as. Both Sherry Morrow and Sue Luna were leaving when they were last seen to go to photo shoots where they were going to be paid handsomely. And that is another thing that Robert Hansen would do. He would either offer to pay for sex work or photo shoots, and it would be a lot of money that would be very difficult to pass up. Again, at this point, Sue Luna has not been found, but she will be eventually. And another similarity between her and Sherry Morrow is that they were both found to have been shot in the back. And they were both found in the area of the Kinnick River. Ultimately, when you hear all of these questions that are being asked by the reporters at this press conference, you get the understanding that the public is starting to put pressure on the police to figure out what the hell is going
2: on. Look, we and APD are looking at all three cases, but let me be clear, there is nothing that indicates anything other than a coincidence what about the other girls uh, as of now they're only considered missing persons they may have uh, left the state details are in your handout when are you
4: going to admit
1: there's somebody taking these girls
0: and it is true while some of the police were like the anchorage investigator that we saw earlier and didn't give a shit some of them were actually really trying to figure out how these women were going missing right At the end of this press conference, we see Greg Baker and he has put together a big old envelope and he's taken it over to an office in the Alaskan State Police Department. And this envelope is the file for Cindy Paulson's case where Robert Hansen is a suspect. And you don't want to be sending your cases if you're a local city agency to the state police. And it's all a matter of funding because if you're not taking care of it, then why should they give you the budget to take care of it if you're going to be sending it over? So Greg Baker did talk about how when he chose to do that, he kind of was bending the rules, I want to say. Yeah. But basically he was like, I knew that potentially I could get in trouble, but I was going to do it because I was convinced this guy was more involved than what they were saying and I didn't think they were listening to Cindy Paulson, so I sent all the information I possibly could over to the Alaskan State Police. And then we see Jack Halcombe and his boss, whose name is Bob Gent, and they're talking about the Sherry Morrow case and what they know about this killer and what they know about the body and how she was murdered. And the first thing that Jack Halcombe points out is that Sherry Morrow was left in an area that you cannot get to by car.
3: Somebody went to a
1: lot of trouble getting her there. There's no road access. Probably used a boat. What Could have done that closer. Suspect wanted her out there alive where they would and be disturbed.
0: He is correct in thinking that they intentionally went there because it was difficult to get access to. The second thing that Jack Halcomb points out is that Sherry Morrow was gunned down while she was running away. Like she was being chased or she was being hunted. And it seems like this killer has specifically picked out a victim that no one is going to notice is gone. In this case, he picked out a topless dancer that would have been working at a club or he might pick somebody from a bar.
1: He shot her four times. Two in the legs, two in the chest like she was running. Then he redressed her, wrapped up a- Bandage around her head, shell a 223. So what are we looking at? Picked her up from a bar, over an hour drive to a boat, all the time they're neither seen or missed. He's nocturnal, methodical, probably works nights. His job gives him time,
2: like like a shift worker. That's half the people here.
0: He does incorrectly guess that this is probably someone that's a shift worker, which we're going to see is not the case. And the last thing that Jack Halcomb suggests to his boss is that this is not the first time that Sherry Morrow's killer has done this. He's killed before.
1: Lieutenant, this was too well planned. It's not a first time. It's not a one-off. He's done it before. He'll do it again.
0: And this was less surprising in real life than how it is depicted in the movie. They believed that whoever killed Cherry Mora had killed other people, and they also believed that many of the murders of these women and a lot of these women that were going missing were also connected, simply because if you looked at where they were located and how they were found, they were all very similar. Many of them were found on the K'nick River. Many of them were sex workers or topless dancers, and a lot of these women were either teenagers or in their early 20s. And as they're having this conversation, another officer comes up to Jack Halcombe and his boss, and he says that a sister of one of the missing girls wants to speak with an officer investigating this case. She has information for them. And he also has that envelope that Greg Baker has just dropped off. And Jack Halcombe's boss kind of looks at him and essentially says, you need to take on these cases and finish them up before you're gone, which is the most unrealistic thing. (laughs) You would never do this. And if the public found out, hey, this guy's leaving in two weeks. So you, sir, you figure this out. If you don't figure it out in two weeks, then uh, I guess we're, I guess we're screwed. That's ridiculous. This is just kind of some flair for Nick Cage. And he says, okay, yeah, I'll do it. What actually happened is they did have a task force already formed that they were working on and Jack Halcombe, or the real person that he's based on, Glenn Flothy, he was the head of that task force. We jump to another scene and we see a young girl and her name is Debbie Peters. This is not a real person, but we are going to see her throughout the movie as an example of a victim of this serial killer. And Mm -hmm. she takes this cab into town in Anchorage and then when she gets out of the cab, she gets in and RV. And the way the camera is, it's almost like she's talking to the person driving, but we are in the viewpoint of the person driving. So we can't see who she's talking to. And then right after we see them drive off, the next scene we see is presumably the next morning. And it's a guy parking his car. It's a normal looking guy. He's getting out and he is walking into a bakery. And this is actually the first time that we see Robert Hansen or Bob Hansen. Mm-hmm. And he's played by John Cusack. And he looks completely normal. Like, you know that this is... Bob Bob Hansen because people are saying hi to him. Hey, good morning. And you're like, this is the person we are talking about? Because he's a very unassuming dude. He is being said hello to by everybody. He gets into his place of work, which is a little business. He owns a bakery, and he's talking to all the people there.
5: Yeah, and the bakery was super successful, and in real life, police were frequent customers. So they do show there's police officers eating at the bakery when he walks in. So he was very close to law enforcement every day, which just makes it even crazier.
0: Now, in reality, Robert Hansen was much more shy than how they portray him in the movie. He was polite, but he was primarily a loner. He didn't have many friends. Most of the acquaintances or friends he did have were either couples that he met with his wife, or they were people that he hunted with. And even then, his wife would kind of make arrangements for him to hang out with those people. But even still, you would not think that this is the same person that violently raped Cindy Paulson. Yeah. So then after we see Robert Hansen for the first time and we see him in his small business and we're a little bit shocked by the fact that this is going to be the person that ends up being the serial killer, we get back to Halcombe, and he's in his office burning the midnight oil looking at different cases and another officer comes up to him and Halcomb's in deep looking at this file and he says, Do
1: you have anything on a Robert C. Hansen?
0: And the other officer doesn't really know anything about him. And we learn from Halcomb that Robert Hansen, although he looks very squeaky clean, he is not.
1: Grabbed some girl back in 71, drove her at gunpoint, hands-bound and naked to Kenai Lake, and then raped her got five years. He was out in three months. Seems he just had a run-in with a prostitute. She told Anchorage police the exact same story.
0: And you might be wondering at this point, well, wait a minute. When the Anchorage police did a background check on Robert Hansen, he did not have any criminal history. Well, they were wrong. Here's what happened. At the time that the officers were doing the investigation on Robert Hansen concerning Cindy Paulson's rape, the Anchorage police department also happened to be updating their computer system. And when they checked his criminal history, History, It came back blank because they were in the process from moving from one computer system to another computer system. So it appeared that he did not have any criminal history when in fact, he very much did.
5: So fucking crazy that he did that and then can successfully open this bakery in Anchorage and nobody knows and they're just like getting your donuts in the morning from this fucker like what?
0: I know. And the reason that he's noticed Bob Hansen is because we see that Halcombe has just looked at Cindy Paulson's file, the one that Greg Baker sent him. And so he knows he has recently had a run-in with a sex worker that has accused him of almost the exact same thing. And Halcombe's pissed at this point because Robert Hansen is not on their list of people to be looking at.
1: Why isn't this guy on our list? It was 12 years ago if we open it up that much. Get everything you can from archives, see if there are any other past offenses, and check all missing persons from the same period.
0: Now, in real life, he was a potential suspect. The thing was, and they do point this out in the movie, he was on a list of a lot of people and he wasn't particularly yeah. high on the list because this incident happened 12 years ago at this point. So there's just other people that could be doing this more recently. And so what Hawkeye tells him is I want to know more about his criminal history specifically and I want us to start finding more cases that are similar to this. These ones where they're bound and they're raped because this seems to be a pattern. And he gives a summary of the typical victims, ultimately for Robert Hansen, because, spoiler alert, Robert Hansen did all of this (laughs) shit. Yeah.
1: Eight girls in the last two years, all late teens, early 20s, 5'2", 5'7", 120, 125 pounds, all made big money dates with a stranger and then disappeared. Cindy Paulson, 23, 5'2", 120 pounds, was offered $200 for a blowjob and then raped at gunpoint. Guy said he liked to take pictures, was going to take her to his cabin in the wild, but she got away. There's not one lead on any of these girls except her.
0: So then in the next scene, we've got Halcom and he is meeting up with this vice undercover detective in the Anchorage Red Light District. And the reason that he wants to meet with this guy and go out in the area is because he wants to see if he can find Cindy Paulson. Because Cindy Paulson is pretty important for this case. She's the only live witness we have to anything that Robert Hansen has done. So he's going around and he's trying to ask, have you seen this girl? See if he can figure out if she's connected to anybody up there or not. And when we do this, we get a really good explanation from the vice detective about how the red light district in anchorage works we Call it the track
4: like for horses
5: oh stroke through the whole stroke and that's real that still exists to this day that people call it a track
0: because women are just animals jesus fucking christ anyway he explains how it's a pretty small community surprisingly
1: everyone knows everyone all the pimps and all the other pimps who owns which girls? Which girls are the wild ones? Black girls are boosters, white girls are flatbacks. Good money earning a bit can do both. Their
3: words, not mine. It's a move and hustle. Give the least, get the most. You know, it's all about the paper.
5: Which is also true in real life, which is so crazy to me. It's like pimps have like a network and it's so insane that that's a community that exists.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And we also learn about a crime ring that is actually based in Seattle that will send women up to Alaska and some other states for them to work as sex workers.
1: Some of these bars, part of a mob circuit, went out of Seattle. They moved the girls around L.A., Portland, up here, Hawaii, Florida, sometimes with no notice, just
2: gone. Keep the towel fresh.
0: Now, one of the documentaries that I watched actually gave a pretty good explanation and background to this crime ring that he is talking about. At the time, Alaska had a big oil boom, so there were a lot of men moving up to Alaska for work. And there ended up also being a pretty big influx of women coming to Alaska specifically to work as either topless dancers, strippers, or sex workers. And one of the big reasons for that was there was actually a crime ring based in Seattle. And what they would do is they would tell these very young women sometimes they were teenagers, that they would pay their way up to go to Alaska to work in these bars that they had, and they would tell them that they were just going to be doing topless dancing. They also would tell them that they would pay their living expenses. They were going to stay in a hotel. They were not going to have to pay for anything or find somewhere to live. Well, by the time these women would get up to Alaska, they would realize that each day that they stayed in these hotels that was being paid for by this crime ring, they were incurring a debt. So the longer they stayed, the more money they owed, and it was harder for them to get out of this. And even if they just came to be topless dancers, a lot of time to make money they would have to go and do sex work or do photo shoots. And this also explains why women were very interested in the offers that Robert Hansen gave them because it was good money that they needed. Right. Then this vice detective also gives us a little bit of a background on Cindy Paulson.
1: I checked around before here. Cindy was arrested on the PNL in Portland has prized for prostitution in Cali, Washington,
3: Oregon, and Denver. She's been on the streets since she was 11 years old. Quite a track star.
0: And this undercover vice detective says she is, quote, quite a track star. And I was like, do not fucking say that, sir. That's just making the problem worse.
5: Yeah, I'm on a little bit of a tirade on this one. Sorry. No, but especially because we find out that she's been on the street since she was 11 and has charges all over. And so it's just like literal child to be calling a track star here.
0: Yeah, she's very vulnerable. She has been for such a long time. And she's just been set up to be in the most
5: fucked up situation.
0: So Halcombe doesn't really have much luck in the red light district, but it does give you a pretty good picture of what it was like then.
5: Yeah, when we go into the strip club, boobs and butts are everywhere. So be prepared. It's very gritty. Yeah, it is.
0: After we see Halcombe walking around on 4th Street trying to find Cindy Paulson, we get to the next scene and it's the next day and we see Halcombe and he is meeting with a woman named Roberta Moorhead. And Roberta Moorhead was the real sister of Sue Luna. And if you remember, Sue Luna was one of the women mentioned in the press conference earlier. At this point, she's missing, but they have not found a body or anything. And the reason that Halcombe is meeting with Moorhead is she is bringing him dental records in case they find a body. And this was true that many family members would bring dental records in case any of these women were found you also see that she's gonna talk about a bracelet that she's wearing and she says that sue luna had a matching bracelet that she never ever took off
4: we won those when we were kids it's a pair and uh, susie never took hers off
0: It is also true that family members would describe jewelry or give pictures of jewelry so that if they did find a body and it had anything like that near it, then they would be able to identify it potentially. However, although it is true that Sue Luna did have a sister that went by this name, the background info she's given about Sue Luna is fictionalized.
4: She only came up for two weeks, you know. That was 15 months ago. She left her daughter Lizzie with uh, our folks. She's four. Every time the phone rings, I think it might be her.
0: She talks about how Sue Luna had a child that she left with her parents, and she was only going to leave him temporarily, and then she disappeared. That is not what happened with Sue Luna. Similar to many of the other women, she worked at a bar where she was a topless dancer and lived with a roommate. And her sister actually came to spend the weekend with her. And when Sue Luna was not there, she reported it. And I get what the movie is trying to do in showing that she has a child, she has a family that misses her, but I kind of wish they had just stayed to the same story because I feel like they're trying to make us have more sympathy for her because she's a mother. And just because you weren't a mother or just because you were a sex worker does not mean that this was not a horrible situation and they should have been looking for her as best they could. Right. Then Jack Halcombe looks at her and he says,
1: Mrs. Moorhead, I know how you feel.
0: I know. That about made me want to throw something against a wall. You do not have a missing sibling. (laughs) Then they have this dramatic moment where she looks at Jack Halcombe and she says,
4: Sergeant, I know it's selfish, but I want you to remember her over the others.
0: Then she takes off the bracelet that she's wearing that Sue Luna has a matching bracelet as well. And she leaves it with him and tells him to keep it. Number one, this did not happen. And there wasn't a bracelet that was left that matched Sue Luna's ever. But also, he gives her this look back and it's just... This scene is a little much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I understand what they're trying to do. Then after that, we are going to get a couple scenes that are sort of switching back and forth with each other. It's going to start with Robert Hansen back at his house. And at this point, it seems normal. You will notice, however, that he is checking his messages and his wife has left him a message and she's saying,
4: Hi, Bob. The kids just wanted to say goodnight. Call us back if it's not too late. We're having a great time. It's... It's really beautiful here, and mom and dad are really enjoying the kids. We'll be back in two days. God bless.
0: And this is how Robert Hansen was able to get away with what he did. He would send his wife and his children away all the time. They would usually go to her parents' house. And there was one summer where they were gone the entire time. And that was when he did a lot of these murders. And then we jump to another scene where Halcombe is coming back into the police station. And he's been told that someone's there that wants to see him. And he goes in and he sees that it is Cindy Paulson. And I guess we're to assume that she heard around that he was looking for her. So she... Comes back and talks to him. And up to this point in the movie, there had not been too many dramatic moments, but they kind of go over the top here when Cindy Paulson's in his office and she looks at a picture, just a random photo of Jack Holcomb with his hand around a woman. And she goes,
4: Is that your sister? She's dead, isn't she?
0: This wasn't a real thing. He might have a sister that died, but it had nothing to do with this. And Cindy Paulson didn't just predict that out of thin air. (laughs) And then Cindy Paulson starts to talk to Jack Holcomb about what happened to her.
4: I was on the corner of Fifth and Denali, and he rode by around eleven, and he offered me two hundred dollars for it, you know, a blowjob. And I said, "Fine, no problem." Um, he brought me to his place. He said his family was away.
0: And actually, what she is saying, it is based on a tape recording of her. And it's very, very close to what she actually says. I mean, it's almost verbatim.
5: That makes sense because I was like, Vanessa Hudgens does a phenomenal job in this scene. Like, it, to me, came off very authentic as to someone recounting the story. So it makes sense that it was, like, based off of the actual recording of the real Cindy Paulson.
0: And then as Cindy Paulson is describing what happened, we jump back to Robert Hansen. And he's still in his house. And... And it still seems normal. At first he's sitting in what appears to be like a den and he's listening to music and then all of a sudden you hear something and he gets a little aggravated and stands up and walks over across the room that he's in and then you realize that he is down in this basement that Cindy Paulson is describing and there is Debbie Peters that we saw earlier getting in the car with someone and she is chained around her neck to a post just like Cindy Paulson was and She's crying, she's clearly terrified, she's clearly been raped, and this is the moment where you go from thinking, this is the guy that's done all this to realizing this guy is a monster.
3: <laughs> you, you ready? You ready for some more fun? You're the best one
4: I ever had. <laughs>
0: We even see at one point that someone comes in the house upstairs and is yelling for Robert Hanson, and he has to go upstairs as there is a young girl downstairs just trapped. And there's no indication that this ever actually happened, but it's possible. Yeah. Then we jump back to Cindy Paulson with Jack Halcombe one more time, and she's coming towards the end of telling her story, and she's describing how Robert Hanson was just so heartless. She knew in that moment that she was not going to get out of there alive, or there was a very low chance of it.
4: There are animal heads everywhere. I saw that, and I knew this guy liked to kill things. That's when I knew it wouldn't do me no good to beg. I feel like maybe he was halfway decent. I just had to not be so scared.
3: Take any chance I could get.
0: So she started remembering details and she's recounting those details to us. And she also intentionally was trying to save evidence because if there was a chance that she was going to get out, she was going to report this guy and make sure that he couldn't do this again or come back and get her again. We also see Jack Halcom asking her, do you think he's ever done this before? And she says, He
4: said there were seven girls before me. And
0: then I was lucky
4: because they usually stay for a week.
0: But despite all that, even with saving this evidence, even with having this information, she wasn't believed. And you can see clearly that this whole experience of retelling this story and remembering how no one believed her has just re-traumatized her and she wants to get out of there. And the next thing we see is Cindy back out on the street and she is kind of getting harassed by someone and a woman comes out of nowhere and saying, you got to get out of the streets.
4: Listen, honey, I don't want nothing from you, but I've seen girls like you before. I've fucking been like you, okay? I mean, I was too stupid to take some help. You're gonna take some help.
0: I think it's just trying to show what Cindy Paulson has gone through in the same way that we saw her earlier eating cereal and just realizing she's a child. We're now seeing her out on the streets where she shouldn't be and she doesn't deserve this. And this movie's good, but sometimes the accents in this movie are freaking all over the place. <laughs> this lady that is being nice to her is got a Brooklyn accent. So I don't know what we're doing here, but you know. So she's just trying to convince her that maybe instead of working for this pimp that you have, you should try dancing. And you see that if she gets any support at all, it's not, let's get you out of here. It's, let's not do sex work and let's just try dancing.
5: Yeah, but then the lady even says that they're going to split the money that Cindy makes from dancing. So it's like basically a new pimp.
0: Yeah, it just shows how inescapable it is. Yeah. So we go to the next scene and we're back with Robert Hansen and the investigators on this statewide task force. And they are looking at a map. And this map is showing the locations where women's bodies have been found. And there's one investigator that is specifically talking about the activity of Robert Hansen at the time that these women were found. And it's possible connection with these locations
2: as well. All right. There are two cases down the Kenai in 71. Hanson had a boat over the 4th of July weekend in Seward in 73 and 75. I cross-check it each time a girl disappears. He gets uh, five years for theft in 76. Supreme Court overturned it. He got out in 15 months.
0: Then we hear Jack Halcomb expand on what this investigator just said, and you realize that there is a cluster of locations that they have been finding these bodies. They've been finding them over the past 10 or 12 years, and the number of women that they have found is in the double digits.
1: Kenai, Seward, 75 kidnapping and Palmer here, Bear Lady found here in 1980, another near Aglutna, Sherry Morrow found on the Kinnick here. Since then... 11 girls matching the profile have gone missing from downtown. Now, I've only gone through half the files, but that's that's 150, 200 mile radius. So if he is our guy, he's covering a fair part of the state.
0: And you see that Jack Halcomb's boss is a little bit overwhelmed by all of this information. And he's not too sure if it's strong enough to lead to a warrant or an arrest or any type of case towards Robert Hansen.
2: Well, just slow down here. These are all old cases. I mean, you got one body. And if you want to start connecting them, you need more than a guess.
0: And he also points out the ultimate question, which is, is Cindy Paulson even going to show up to testify? Now, we have seen Cindy talking with Jack Halcombe. She gave him her entire story, but she walked out after that, and we have not seen her since. And Jack Halcombe does not know where she is. Then, as Bob Gent is finishing up his concerns, the investigators find out that another body has been found. So all the officers go to check out this new body. And this is not a real person, but I think it's just showing that even as they were investigating this, they were still getting more bodies coming up. Right. And you get the sense of how brutal
3: it was. And how did she die? Fatal gunshot wound to the sternum. Bullet entered front, passed clean through her heart, exited right shoulder blade. Also other shots to leg and torso, all from behind. Lacerations to skull. Deep stabs to the ribs.
0: They show in the movie that she's been deeply decayed, that she was out in the wilderness for at least through the summer. And they talk about how it looks like someone attempted to, after she was dead, saw her head off with a blunt edge.
3: What do you make of this? Ever try to saw a bone with a flat blade? So someone tried to remove her head.
0: I do not remember reading that Robert Hansen attempted to remove the heads of his victims anywhere. I'm pretty sure this is just for the movie.
3: Yeah.
0: After this, we're back to Cindy Paulson, and she's going to try dancing for the first time instead of doing sex work. And she's trying to get pumped up for all this. And this person that's taken her under her wing is giving her meth to smoke. And Mm -hmm. I was getting stressed out watching this. I was like, my breathing was getting fast. I just felt like I couldn't breathe. I was nervous for her. What's the matter? You
3: never met Crystal before? She's gonna be your best friend. Good. Ready, you get it nice and hot.
4: You got it? (laughs) Come on, let's try it again. One more time. There you go. There
5: you go. It's
0: good. She gets very wound up from it, obviously. Yeah. And she goes out and she starts dancing and it's working out okay. She's got some money. And then in he comes her pimp, whose name is Clayton Johnson in the movie, but he is played by Curtis 50 Cent Jackson. (laughs) I guess they were really trying to emphasize that this happened in the 80s because the hair they put on him, it's like this straight slicked back
5: hair. Yeah, the hair is a lot.
0: In reality, her pimp did not really have anything to do with this case. This is a backstory that's fictionalized. He comes in and he's mad that she's dancing. I'm
2: in and in this motherfucking dump. Ain't no money in here.
0: He wants her to come back and work for him. He wants to take her back to the hotel that he had her at. But at this point, it seems like she's maybe going to stay dancing. Meanwhile, we are back to Robert Hansen with Debbie Peters. And we see him flying her out on his plane. And I mean, they're going out to the middle of fucking nowhere in this yeah. wilderness. And we see him land and she's freaking the hell out. And he's saying shit like... You're a really
3: good girl. You've done everything I have to tell
2: you. <laughs> Why are
5: you screaming? Please, please, let me go.
3: Please,
5: let me go. No! Ah!
3: Ah! Ah! Nobody can hear you out here.
0: And we see him hunting her. She runs away Mm -hmm. and then he shoots her. And that's how these happen. He would keep them down in that basement for a little while and assault them. And then he would take them out to the wilderness and hunt them. And later when he did a full confession, he explains, I never intended to kill them. I always intended to bring them back if they did what I told them. But if they didn't, then they were going to stay. And in a weird way, I think in his mind, he might have actually thought that, but Mm -hmm. they never did what he wanted. They were never going to do what he wanted.
5: And he like immediately handcuffed people when they got in his car. So obviously you're gonna freak out
0: <laughs> yeah after we see this we get a brief scene with halcom and he's talking to another officer and mm-hmm. we learn that number one robert hansen's alibis for the night that cindy paulson was raped they're holding out but they suspect they're lying
5: which is so crazy to me that he made good enough friends that were willing to lie to the police that they were with him one night no questions asked
0: <laughs> and in what universe I'm trying to think of a scenario where I would be like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. (laughs) Right. No problem. I don't know. If you were a serial killer, I don't think I'd do it. But maybe if you did something else, I don't know. That's a complicated (laughs) question. But anyway... They also learn the reason that Robert Hansen has this plane is because he filed an insurance claim on some property that was taken and he got a payout for that. And when he got that payout, he bought a plane. And this is true. One of the things that they thought was unusual is that he bought this plane. However, he was denied a pilot's license by the state of Alaska for psychiatric reasons. And the way he's getting away with flying it out of this airfield is he changes the identifying numbers on the outside of his plane pretty much every time he flies the plane, and he makes them so small that the people at the Air Traffic Control Center can't see them. So they never realize that it's the same person flying out each time. On top of the fact that Robert Hansen is flying this plane without a license, Jack Holcomb is getting closer and closer to being able to get a warrant to search his home to find evidence that the insurance payout that Robert Hansen used to buy this plane was fraudulent, that the property that he claimed was stolen was never stolen and he actually still has it. And this might not really seem important now, but this is going to be very useful to them when they are trying to get a warrant to search Robert Hansen's house and plane for the murders. So just hold on to that information. Now that Jack Holcomb has officially opened this case back up, we see him meeting with Cindy Paulson in like a
5: roller rink, I think. Oh, it's a roller rink. Okay. Did you have a roller rink growing up? Um, I went for like a couple school roller nights and birthday parties, but I was really, really bad at roller skating and I would just like I could never stop, so I would just hit the wall super hard and then, like, get tired of being out there pretty quick.
0: (laughs) There was a place in Dallas called White Rock Skate, and every kid had their birthday there from ages 5 to, like, 12. It was the funnest (laughs) place. It closed recently, and people were in an uproar. They were like, why are they closing? Like, I think the guy was just old and wanted to retire. Yeah. But it was the funnest place in the world. But I could not skate. I used rollerblades. Skating is hard. Anyway. (laughs) We're at a roller rink. Halcomb is meeting with Cindy Paulson. And the reason he wants to meet with her so badly is they need her to testify. They don't have enough without her testimony. And this is pretty common. I think this is important to clarify. A lot of times people want someone to be prosecuted, but at Mm -hmm. the same time say, I really don't want to testify. That's a problem. You have to. That's why I think it's important to make sure, as Nicolas Cage is clearly doing in this, make sure that they're comfortable with what's going on and they're aware. But you also have to understand that if they don't testify, you're fucked.
5: Yeah. And if you are a victim, you have a right to have an advocate with you. So you can have people who can support you while you go through the process of testifying and making statements and stuff. So you don't have to do it alone.
0: Yeah so they're talking and he's basically just trying to get her to open up he's trying to get her more comfortable with talking about it and this is the part of the movie I didn't really like just in the way that Cindy Paulson was portrayed they make her seem like she's got this attitude with him
1: where's your family
4: why you wanna know that shit huh she's just like all the other squares I got guys asking me all the time what happened when my folks think I'm at you wanna fuck me is that what you want?
1: <clears throat> no, Cindy, I don't.
4: You think you think knowing makes us
0: friends? Makes me help you? And in the one sense I understand, she's been through a lot and Sometimes there is a sense that prosecutors and police, they're just trying to get victims to testify to things just because they want to win. That's not the case in this particular scenario, but sometimes it does seem that way. So I Mm -hmm. fully understand when people are like, fuck you, I'm not testifying, I'm
5: leaving. Yeah. Well, and he like, he hasn't been arrested at this point. So I can see wanting to leave. This guy almost killed me, he kidnapped me, and he's still walking around town. I don't want to be here.
0: Yeah, and I think that was what the point of this scene was. He could still kill me type of thing. But it comes off as like she's kind of being a brat. I do not. I do not think Cindy Paulson was like that. I think she was helpful. I think she was scared for sure. Right. But I don't think she was as angsty as what they're showing here. (laughs) They also talk about how he says, why don't you go home to your family? And I thought that was a good point, And that she was like, I don't have any family to go home to, dude. It's not yeah. that simple for everybody. Right. But it all culminates in this moment where she's about to walk off and be like, fuck you. I'm not dealing with this. And he says...
1: It took him two hours to cut her out of the car. The guy was a drunk driver.
0: To which I was so confused. I was like, "What? (laughs) who was killed by a drunk driver? What are we talking about? It's in reference back to his dead sister Mm -hmm. that she saw the picture of. And it's basically their way of bonding. He has been through trauma too. And not only has he been through trauma, he's been through trauma where someone was responsible for it. Someone that's still out there walking around Mm -hmm. and he can't do anything about it. She's still not saying she's going to stay and testify. She's still saying no, but he's getting there with her. After this, Cindy is back at this club and she's dancing. And this part did not happen. This is something that I know they did it for flair for the movie, but I was a little turned off by it because I think this can really scare people if they're really in a situation like this. Mm -hmm. She's dancing and Robert Hansen walks into this club and he Mm -hmm. sees her and she sees him and they both immediately know who the other one is. Right. And she freaks out. Out, rightfully so. And he, in turn, also freaks out. And after he sees her, he goes home. And there's a whole subplot where Robert Hansen hires this guy to find Cindy Paulson and either kill her or kidnap her and bring her to Robert Hansen. This did not happen. And for purposes of clarity, and just because I really hate this subplot, we're not going to cover it. So it's in the movie if you watch it, but we're going to skip over it here. After this happens, the officers of this task force that are trying to find the killer of these women, they're meeting with the DA, and essentially, they're trying to get a search warrant in order to search Robert Hansen's house, and the DA is telling them, no, they don't have enough.
1: We know who he is. Yeah, but you can't prove it. He'll be keeping mementos, trophies, Metro saw ace bandages in his car, a pistol, the same caliber as the shells at the graves. Shells don't kill people.
2: Bullets and people do. You know that. None of this holds. I need more. or you're right. I am wasting my time.
0: He has a fair point. You don't want to do it till you have everything. Because if you get a search warrant and you don't have probable cause to be looking there and it gets thrown out, you're fucked.
5: Right. So I don't know if everybody understands that. But if your warrant's not good, then the evidence that you collect when you're doing the search with that warrant, that gets thrown out too. So you can't use what you find with a bad warrant.
0: And they always make the DA out to be this <laughs> asshole that's like, no, I'm not agreeing to that. When the reality is they're just dotting their I's and crossing their T's. Yeah. So this next scene did not really happen, but it's in there to move the plot
1: of the movie along.
0: At that moment, while they're in this meeting with the DA, Jack Holcomb learns that Cindy Paulson is at the airport and she is trying to leave Alaska.
1: No, don't let her leave. I don't care. Tell the airline to delay the flight if you have to. Just don't let her leave.
0: And so Jack Holcomb bolts over to that airport and he stops her from leaving. And they're like in a little room at the airport and he's trying to convince her to stay. Mm -hmm. And this is when he promises her,
1: You gotta trust me. I promise, okay? I promise nothing's going to happen to you.
0: Rule number one of don't do things. Do not freaking promise things like that, but yeah. he does because he's Nicolas Cage. And then in the next scene, Cindy Paulson has nowhere to go. So they have Holcomb take her back to his house. And mm-hmm. this wife is like, she shouldn't be here.
1: I had no choice. Where else is she supposed to go?
4: It's only one night. Always have a choice, okay? She's not your problem.
0: And as I was watching this, I was watching it with my husband, and I was like, okay, I just want to say, if you brought someone back to our house and was like, please don't ask questions, they need to stay with us for a little bit, I'd be like, of course. Like I trust my spouse enough to be like, <laughs> okay. And he would be the same with me. But this, she is like absolutely enraged that yeah. he has brought this young girl, and she's screaming in their paper thin wall house. So yeah, Cindy hears everything going on, and of course she. She leaves because she's not wanted there. In reality, Mm -hmm. Cindy Paulson never stayed with them, but Jack Holcomb's wife did know her and supported her. So Cindy Paulson goes back to her pimp at that motel where she was, and the pimp sends her out to go work. And at that same time, Jack Holcomb realizes that, oh, shoot, Cindy's missing because my wife has just screamed she doesn't want her (laughs) in her house. (laughs) So we get this weird scene, and we get a symbolic moose. (laughs) I forgot about the symbolic moose. It kind of is confusing. I don't know what they were going for with this, but Cindy has been sent back out into the streets and she's on a street where there is truly no one. For some reason, she has decided or her pimp has decided to put her on a corner where there is like nothing. There is no one in the parking lot. There are no cars. There is just snow. And she's just kind of standing there and she starts to walk off. And as she is walking off, she sees this moose in the middle of the street. And it actually is not uncommon for mooses mooses. It's not uncommon for a moose to wander in in a city area in Alaska because they're just everywhere.
5: Mm-hmm.
0: I am guessing the reason they show the moose is because earlier when her and Jack Holcomb were talking and kind of bonding, she talked about how when she was a little girl, she always wanted to work with animals. She wanted to be a firefighter mm-hmm. or work with animals. And she sees this moose yeah. So you think you think in this moment where the moose is here that that's going to be the thing to turn her around to get her to go back to Jack Holcomb or whatever. It's not. Right. Instead, she goes back to the club where she'd previously been working dancing. She goes into a bathroom, locks herself in, and she almost ODs. She takes a bunch of drugs yeah, yeah. and Jack Holcomb, meanwhile, is frantically looking for her. He's freaking out.
1: Maybe I'm not making myself clear. I said, do you know this girl? Should I? Don't talk You gave her job to tell me you back up! Back up now! Well, fuck you, I don't work here. You know, a lot of girls that come through they're called Cindy or Tammy or some shit. Fucking hoes without a clue. Oh, really? Well, this one does have a clue. And come tomorrow, you're not going to know what to call because I'm getting this whole shithole shut down.
0: And they have it in this way that Jack Holcomb is looking for her. He can't find her. He's trying to find her. He's down in that red light district. And at mm-hmm. the same time, Robert Hansen is out looking for her. Like he saw her on that corner and she had walked away before he could get to her in his car. So he's chasing her. So it's like they're both chasing her at the same time. And we get this yeah. big moment where we think... Robert Hansen is in that same Mm -hmm. club as her and he's about to open a door and we see him open that door and you're like, oh God, he's going to find her. And it's actually that he's in a different building. He doesn't find her. And Jack Holcomb actually does find her. He gets her to a hospital. She's okay.
5: Yeah, that scene was really good drama wise. I was on the edge of my seat. I don't know that it's really necessary to the storyline because the whole movie is very dramatic, but it is like, ah, it's plays on the he's hunting her thing too, so...
0: Yeah. So once she's in the hospital with Jack Holcomb, this is kind of the turning point where she's going to testify mm-hmm. for him. They have their moment that they're seeing eye to eye. Again, this part is fictionalized. Meanwhile, we get a scene where it is Jack Holcomb and another one of the officers, and they're basically having a stakeout in front of Robert Hansen's front yard. They're watching him. Mm-hmm. And Robert Hansen sees that they're there.
5: Mm-hmm. And
0: this did not happen. But what he does is he gets his kid and he tells the kid as the police are watching, we're going to go on my airplane. And right. they're freaking out because they're like he knows we're watching them and he is going to dump stuff out there in the wilderness and we're never going to find it Mm. so they are frantically trying to get to him and of course he takes off
4: fucking son of a bitch is
2: crazy tower said he's at a northeast pass connect but hell he could be going anywhere he's
4: gonna dump it all
0: fuck and we get a very intense moment with nicholas cage alone on a giant bridge just looking out into the abyss because he (sighs) has failed and most likely all the evidence he needs is now gone That's the thing about this movie. It's fine. But there's some Mm -hmm. melodramatic moments where I'm like, you didn't need to do that.
5: Yeah, the story is plenty scary and plenty crazy.
0: After this, we are back with the DA and we have more information for him. They have actually met with FBI profilers, which was pretty new at the time. If you're familiar with the TV show Mindhunter, Hunter, these are the people that they met with. And what these people at the FBI do, and this was fairly new when this happened, they would look at various murders that had happened and they would basically profile who the person was doing this. They would profile what that serial killer was like. And the term serial killer was new at this time as well. And these FBI profilers come in and they take a look at these missing women cases and murdered women cases in alaska and they form a profile for a person that could potentially be doing this and they hit robert hansen to a t
1: they say we're looking for a white male early 40s average height respected member of the community wife probably very religious and not totally aware of what he's up to history of theft sexual assault probably stutters also expert outdoorsman and avid hunter that's Hanson.
0: Basically, everything that Robert Hanson is, this profile matches. hmm And in the movie, what they do is they bring this, plus the testimony they're going to get from Cindy Paulson, plus his criminal history, to the DA. And the DA still says, no, this is not enough. And what they do to circumvent that is they say, well, we do have a legitimate case against him for insurance fraud. If you remember, he claimed that a bunch of stuff was stolen and he used the payout money to buy a plane. Mm-hmm. They say we could use a warrant to search for that property because we have a legitimate case against him for insurance fraud. And if we happen to find stuff for murder, then we've got our case for the murder. Yeah. And the DA doesn't really want to do this, but he agrees to it. And that's how they get their warrant to search his house. What actually happened in real life is when they presented all this stuff, including the FBI profiler information, that was enough. The DA said, okay. Now they did still have an insurance fraud warrant to search his house as well because they didn't want to take any chances with this murder warrant not being any good. Either way, they finally, finally get their search warrant. They're going to go search his house. In the movie, he's at work and they approach him at work.
4: Hey, Bob, you have a minute? Just hoping you can help us down at the station.
0: What actually happened in real life is he was actually at his house and they take him out and go to the station. And his wife was getting ready to go to work. The kids were getting ready to go to school and they cooperate, but they're like, what is going on? And I mean, they show neighbors seeing this and it was similar to that. People were like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. So we have this simultaneous search of his house happening and we have this questioning of him. And they start talking to him about his previous incidences in the 70s, the rape charge and the kidnapping charge.
1: 1971 there was an incident involving a Miss Allen over in Spinard. Can you tell me what
3: happened there, Mom? Well, um, that, um, I don't know what to say. I guess you could just call that an urge.
1: And is that to do with what Dr. McManus said at your sentencing? I can't remember. Schizophrenic or manic depressive problems, a mental state you would sometimes go into and things would just
0: happen. And this is another incident where they have recordings of Robert Hansen talking. And when John Cusack in the movie is talking, he is saying the same things. Like they have gotten that recording and he's almost verbatim saying the same things that he did.
1: Well, there was a second incident
3: mm-hmm.
1: in December of 71. You were arrested yeah. for that also. Yeah. Her name was Bowden.
3: That uh, situation there is your basic you know, money for sex prop- proposition.
1: He does not
0: deny that he's had run-ins with sex workers in the past. He openly admits it. And his reasoning behind it is always something just went a little bit wrong. And it's always a blame on the woman.
3: We agreed on a price. And God damn it, that's the way it's going to be. And she just kept arguing with me more and more money, more and more money. And then, you know, I just... Dropped her off an angry. She so. said she bound her with a snare trap and put a gun to her head. And you started
4: no. going down towards the Kenai to the Sunset Lodge and rented a cabin. Well, that part's true. And she says you raped her.
3: And you wrote her mother and father's name and address and her son's name down and said if she told anyone, you'd harm her. Well, I do remember her name being written down on a piece of paper that she gave me to contact her.
0: I wanted to pay them. I told them, we're going to do this my way. And then they freaked out and it became a problem. Right. And he's not budging. He will not break to say that he was involved in anything since those incidents. He does admit that he has been with sex workers since then. And he has this, he has the most ridiculous reasoning. Oh, yeah. So he says (laughs) that basically the reason he goes to sex workers is because...
3: Uh, At home, there's no problem at all. yeah, I mentioned to you you, you both that uh, both of these times uh, I wanted uh, oral sex, uh, you know, I don't know, you call me old fashioned or whatever, but that's just not something that I would want, want my wife to perform. OK, you know, not somebody that I love and respect and, and cherish.
0: Um, Bob. You can take that misogyny wrapped in Madonna whore bullshit and shove it where the sun don't shine. My freaking God. I don't know why this made me more mad than anything else. But again, I was watching this with my husband. I looked at him and I was like, have you ever heard of this in your life?
5: Nope, never heard of that.
0: (laughs) So... They're having a really, really hard time getting him to break. And it was Jack Halcombe that was interviewing Robert Hansen during this questioning. He's doing it the whole time. And he was really periodically checking in with the people searching the house. And the people searching the house are looking everywhere and they cannot find anything.
4: We've got all the bank statements, other documents, nothing that has anything to do with any girls.
0: And when you're watching the movie, you have this fear because we just saw Robert Hansen flying off in his plane and the investigators were convinced that he had taken evidence and dumped it now this didn't really happen and actually because of this fbi profile the investigators were very positive that he would have kept trophies and there had to be something somewhere yeah ultimately they get to the point in the interrogation where they straight up say we think you shot these people and killed them and he gets really mad
3: you're telling me i shot this person
0: bullshit. He gets more mad in the movie. It starts to teeter off where he's yelling at them. He never Mm -hmm. lost his cool with them. He always stayed pretty calm. But he does at some point say, I want to talk to my attorney. And once Robert Hansen asks for an attorney, this effectively ends the interview. And Jack Holcomb has not been able to get a confession out of Robert Hansen for the kidnapping and rape of Cindy Paulson or for any of these murders. He does, however, have enough probable cause to arrest Robert Hansen on the rape and kidnapping of Cindy Paulson. So he does that. Once Robert Hansen has been arrested, Jack Holcomb actually goes over to Robert Hansen's house where they are still searching. They've been searching all day at this point, and they've looked in every part of the house that they possibly can.
1: And he gives this hero at the end of the movie speech. Gentlemen, I know you've been at this all day, but we still haven't found what we need. And if we don't before we leave, we'll never get another chance. So we're going to start again. Top to bottom, every damn inch. It means we stay all night, dig up the entire property. Well that's what we're gonna do. Call it trooper's intuition. I know it's here.
2: Alright, you heard him. Let's get to it.
0: I rolled my eyes real hard at that part. <laughs> And the reason I say that is because although it is true that Jack Calcum did come over to the house after he was done interviewing Robert Hansen, and they did ultimately decide to do one last thorough search of the entire house starting over, the movie makes it appear as though they completely forgot about one spot in the house where they end up finding all of this evidence, and that is the attic. The attic actually had been searched in, but they had not taken it completely apart. In other words, they had not taken the insulation out. So that was their next step. And lo and behold, they go up into that attic, they rip out the insulation, and they find a trapdoor.
2: You were right. We didn't dump it all. It's a mini fourteen, a Thompson contender,
3: both two twenty-threes. We found the guns!
0: And inside of that trapdoor, they find two guns that are two twenty-threes, they find a gold arrowhead necklace, they find an aviation map with markings on it. And they find a map like this also in Robert Hansen's bedroom. Now, my first reaction when I was watching this part was like they finally found it. They found the murder weapons. But then I quickly realized that this could be any gun. It's not necessarily a match and it has to be sent out. Also, this necklace that they found, they don't have anybody to identify that with. And we don't even know what this map means at this point. So they've found things that are certainly strange and definitely more than coincidence, probably. But they still don't have enough. And the DA decides that they are still going to go forward with the kidnapping and rape charges against Robert Hansen, but they are still not going to charge him with murder. And you can see the frustration in Jack Halcombe in the movie because everyone and their mother knows he is the serial killer.
2: I have the gun. I have the shells. They're just going to argue that somebody else could have pulled the trigger. You know that. I mean, our warrant's being questioned without a match on the jewelry. He's worried that it's a gamble that he's going to lose and, and Hansen will walk. Sorry, Jack. I don't think we can get a murder indictment unless he confesses.
0: Now, the movie doesn't get into this, but slowly, Jack Halcom is able to piece things together that are able to point to the fact that Robert Hansen is the serial killer more and more as time goes on. The guns do come back, and they are the guns that fired those casings. There is a boyfriend that comes and identifies the necklace that was found in Robert Hansen's house as belonging to his girlfriend that disappeared. The alibis for Robert Hansen are slowly weakening and eventually they're subpoenaed to testify before the grand jury for the kidnapping and rape case and they ultimately admit that Robert Hansen was not with them on the night that Cindy Paulson was kidnapped and raped. But the biggest thing that these investigators ultimately discover both in the movie and in real life are these two maps with X's all over them and more importantly what those X's represent. The depiction in the movie is really what actually happened. One of the investigators approached Jack Halcombe and and pointed out the fact that, apparently, Robert Hansen would regularly study this map while he was in bed.
2: You know, I spent last night uh, looking over everything we seized again. We found this behind his bed, and the one I said he was always reading it at night.
0: And in the movie, you immediately see the wheels turning in Jack Halcombe's head. You see him running over to his case files and looking through those while he's looking at this map. And you know that something is clicking in his mind. Then you see Jack Halcombe call over to another investigator... And he's asking him about where one of the missing women's bodies was found. He's asking him to pinpoint the location where the body was found.
1: Ed, Ed, wh- where were Eklutna, Annie, and Joanna Messina's bodies found again? Eklutna's right here. We have this mark. Sewer's down here and the highway runs. So Joanna's right around here. This mark.
2: Jesus, it's more than 20 of them. Oh, my God.
0: And the investigator comes over and points to the map, Robert Hansen's map, that Jack Halcombe is holding and says, you already have it marked right here on this map. So now we know Robert Hansen has the locations of bodies marked that only the killer would know and the investigators. There are 24 X's on this map in total, and the investigators already know that four of them represent bodies. They represent Paula Golding, Eklutna Annie, Joanna Messina, and Sherry Morrow. So now in the movie, there's going to be a big showdown. It's going to be Jack Halcombe going in, and interrogating Robert Hansen with his lawyer. In real life, this interview was not as contentious. It was pretty clear at this point that Robert Hansen was the serial killer that they were looking for, and the interview was really just a matter of making some sort of deal that would allow for all of these women's bodies to be found and returned to their families as well as for Robert Hansen his family not being too affected. But the fact that Jack Halcombe had this map let Robert Hansen know that Jack Halcombe was on to him and knew everything. And then in the movie, there's one last thing that Jack Halcombe does before he goes into this interview, and that is he goes up to his boss, Bob Gent, and he's holding this bracelet that Sue Luna's sister gave to him earlier in the movie saying that she and Sue Luna had matching bracelets, and he is wondering if Bob Gent found anything like that.
1: Was there anything like this found? Exactly like this. This is the one that Sue Luna's sister gave to me. She said that Sue was wearing an identical one the day she disappeared. No, there's nothing like that.
0: And Bob Jen actually says, no, we did not find anything like that. But Jack Holcomb goes ahead and holds on to the bracelet and goes into the interview. And you're gonna notice this throughout the interview, but Jack Holcomb is gonna keep building on more information, more evidence, more clues. And he's basically trying to break Robert Hansen so that he confesses and that he can get him to plea. And that's what they did in real life. They knew from Robert Hansen's previous criminal history that he had never actually gone to trial. He always ended up pleading. And they believe that the reason he did that was because more evidence was stacked up against him that he became aware of. So Jack Halcombe goes into this meeting and the first thing he does is address the map and he addresses what those X's are and what he believes they are.
1: Bob, we found this at your house. Can you tell me what it is? I haven't seen this. What, What is this? It's a flight chart. I'm sure you've seen hundreds of them. Right. And what are all these little markings on it? These X's. So those
3: are places where I hunt.
1: But Bob, why is this one and this one where these two girls' bodies were found and these All right. two? All right, just a now.
3: You're saying, no way, those are just places where I hunted.
1: Oh, I believe they were, Bob.
0: And that is pretty much the only thing that actually happened in this interview. Everything else is fictionalized. Starting with the fact that Cindy Paulson is watching this interview through a camera. And the reason she's watching it is they are having her identify Robert Hansen as her rapist. Then we see Jack Halcombe and he's trying to trick Robert Hansen with that bracelet that Sue Luna's sister gave him from before. Now, if you remember, Bob Gent said that he never found any bracelet in the house that looked like Sue Luna's, but what Jack Halcombe does is He's trying to make Robert Hansen believe that they followed his plane that day that he flew off with the police chasing him after they had been sitting in front of his house. And he basically alludes to the fact that they found that bracelet in the area where he hid this evidence.
1: Pretty bad weather for a flight the other day. Quite a pilot. Almost lost you a few times. We found it. Tracks are still fresh. What is that? Well, Bob knows, don't you, Bob.
0: And it's also at this point that things actually start getting heated.
1: Well, what's the matter? Why are you so quiet? Don't you remember killing Sue Luna? Perhaps I should refresh your memory. Did you take it offer her before or after you raped her?
0: Then any chance of the depiction of this interview being realistic, just go out the window when Jack Halcombe threatens. I'm going to ask the district attorney
1: to petition the governor to reinstate the death penalty.
0: All of a sudden, we hear the door to the interview room open and who is standing there but Cindy Paulson. And the entire room goes completely quiet. And then finally, it's Robert Hansen that breaks that.
3: You little cunt! You think you can threaten me with this little whore? Bob, take it easy. I should have killed you when I had the chance!
0: And I just want to point out that this absolutely would never, ever fucking happen. If it did happen, then somebody in that police station that let her get that close to him and go near that interview room is in serious trouble. And this absolute outburst by Robert Hansen towards Cindy Paulson is sort of treated in the movie like a smoking gun, and the movie starts to wind down. Like we mentioned earlier, there were 24 X's drawn on the map that was found in Robert Hansen's house. Of those 24 X's, Robert Hansen admitted that 14 of the X's represented the location of women's bodies that he had murdered. Of the 14 murders that Robert Hansen admitted to, the police were able to locate 12 bodies at the locations listed on the map. And Robert Hansen led them, after he was arrested, to seven of those locations. And looking for these bodies was no easy task. This was not like Google Maps where they were pinpoint locations on those X's. These X's represented large, large amounts of land that the police had to go through. And that's partly why they utilized Robert Hansen to find these bodies because he would know where they were and they said it was very eerie when they took him to these locations to find the bodies they described him as being so excited to be back at these locations it was almost like a dog off the leash just running around everywhere and the other difficulty was the police had to go back to some of these locations several times because the ground was still frozen from the winter and they could not dig the bodies up Hence the name of the movie. Now, for those of you keeping track, at this point, Robert Hansen has admitted that 14 of the X's on his map were the locations of women's bodies that he murdered. And the police were able to find 12 of those bodies at those exes. There was one additional body of a woman found based on an X on Robert Hansen's map, but Robert Hansen denied murdering her. Additionally, there were two women that disappeared around the time that Robert Hansen was active, and the police strongly suspected that Robert Hansen was responsible for their murders, but they never found their bodies. Robert Hansen denied killing them, and he would never admit which, if any, of the exes on his map represented where their bodies were. And it's believed the reason Robert Hansen denies murdering these two Three women, The two women that disappeared and the one woman's body found on his map is because they were not sex workers. Robert Hansen had a very strange outlook when it came to sex workers and topless dancers. He essentially considered them to be subhuman, and he did not feel any remorse when he murdered them. However, with these three women, two of which have disappeared and never been found, and the one whose body was found on his map, because they were not sex workers, it's suspected that he might have felt some sort of guilt. Another theory is that these women did something to really piss him off, and he does not want their bodies to be found. And some believe that his denial with these three women is just a way to keep some form of power from the police. Now, at this point, there are seven exes on Robert Hansen's map that are still not accounted for. They have not been confirmed to be murders, although they are strongly suspected of it, but nothing has ever been found at any of those locations. And the final admission by Robert Hansen was that he raped 30 women. Ultimately, he is going to be sentenced in 1984 to 461 years in prison with no parole he died in 2014 at the age of 75 of natural causes. Jack Holcomb never left his job. He was never going to leave, but he is promoted after that. And at the time that this movie was released, they say that Cindy Paulson, she's living in the lower 48 and she's married with three kids. In terms of updates on Cindy Paulson, and if she's still in the lower 48, still married and all that stuff, there is very, very little out there.
5: No, I couldn't find anything on Cindy Paulson. And it was kind of interesting because he says this is the first time she has told her story, but I didn't find anything that she was a consultant or anything on it. I guess he interviewed her.
0: I saw one article that explained before the director made this movie, he went out and met with her and he interviewed her for several days. And from what Cindy Paulson told the director, her husband knew very little about her experience with Robert Hansen. And she told him that if you are going to make this movie, you need to tell me in advance and I need to know what's going to be in it because I want him to be forewarned about that. And the director was true to his word and afterwards, Cindy Paulson contacted him and said she felt almost relieved with her story being out there but she wasn't any type of paid consultant and there's no updates since then but she's living her private life and she seemed to be happy with that and you know what that is the story and the movie The Frozen Ground okay so what are we doing next week Grace
5: we're doing In Cold Blood
0: oh I love this one this is one of my favorites I am really excited for this yeah yeah all right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Karen and Mitchell for making this request. And thank you to Aaron and Forensic Dentists for supporting us through buymeacoffee.com. If you would like to make a request for a movie for us to recap, you can do so through our website, crimescenespodcast.com, or you can send us a direct message through any of our social medias. We have Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and we are at Crime Scenes Pod. You can also get to buymeacoffee.com if you go to our website or through the link in bio at our various social medias. And don't forget, we are doing a giveaway of our new merch. The way you enter is by giving us a positive review and a five-star rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It can be as short as a happy emoji. We don't care. And then send us a direct message so we know what your username is. And we're going to do a drawing. And whoever we draw is going to get a t-shirt, a mug, and a sticker. Yeah. Again, thank you so much, guys. We really, really appreciate it. And we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Biggie!
5: <laughs> Sorry. Today we are doing The Frozen Brown. Let me say that again. I feel like my Z was weird.
0: <laughs> this movie was our second request. It was requested by our friends... Damn it! After we see him with his wife, we see Holcomb and he... Holcomb. I'm going to call him Holcomb the whole time. And they talk about how she had the base bandage uh, ace, ba- ace bandage? Am I saying that? They started actually taking the... What is it called? It's not the stuffing, but the insulation. insulation. Jack Hulk, Hulk, Halcom? Please tell me. Let me clarify this right now.
5: <laughs> I How just wrote come? Nick Cage every time in my notes. So <laughs> I know, I'm not very helpful. <laughs>